Oh man, I that was really funny. Thanks, <laughs> thanks Martha. Um, my name is Melissa C. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater um, <clears throat> in New York, and um, welcome, welcome to all. Um, so this is a um, well. It's either it's usually a pretty unpopular topic for most people. Most people are yikes eight eight and nine it's um you know it's uh it's the tough stuff right but we're gonna delve right into it because we have a god that's with us through the tough stuff and um and this is part of the deal right this is part of this um this commitment that we make this willingness to do anything right um so i'm gonna be mostly in the 12 and 12 um and mostly focused on nine, but a little bit of eight in there as well, and a little bit in the big book. So be all over the place. Um, so this is in um, the AA 12 and 12, step, nine, step eight. It says page 77, <clears throat> steps eight and nine are concerned with personal relations. First, we take a look backward and try to discover where we've been at fault. And next we make a vigorous attempt to repair the damage we've done. And third, having thus cleaned away the debris of the past, we consider how, with our newfound knowledge of ourselves, we may develop the best possible relations with every human being we know. <clears throat> Excuse me. So there's three parts really to this. One, discovery. Two, reparation and restitution. And three, improving relations. Okay, so let's start with discovery. Discovery, finding where we were wrong and not where we were wronged, right? Where we were wrong and not where we were wronged. You know, to a degree, it says he's already done this when taking moral inventory. So when we've taken our inventory, you know, we've done this in a sense, but now the time has come when he ought to redouble his efforts to see how many people he has hurt and in what ways. So this clearly says that we're working hard at this. This is hard. You're redoubling our efforts to do what? To find who we hurt. And many people say, you know, that once you're done with your fourth step, you've got it right there in front of you, right? But actually the 12 and 12 tells us that we're gonna have to go further that that's a start, but we're gonna have to dig a little further than that, which is, you know, I would say why there's six and seven in between, because those steps help me closely see how my defects have been running amok in my family, my community, and my workplace, you know? And now, so another way that we're gonna have discovery, so we, we actually get some discovery through our six and seven step work, and we also get further discovery through prayer. Prayer is another great way to aid us in discovery. And, you know, um, there's a pre-eight-step prayer that I've stumbled upon. Um, it's on a resource called friendsofbill.net. Um, and it's got, some, it's got some beautiful prayers in there. Um, so here's a pre-eight-step prayer. God, please remove my fears and show me your truth. Show me all the harms I have caused with my behavior and help me be willing to make amends to one and all. 
help me to be willing to go to any lengths for victory over alcohol. Um, okay, so now reparation, restitution, compensation, right? Whether moral or legal. Basically, it's paying back money we owe or stole or setting things back to their undamaged state. And it's not merely saying, I'm sorry. You know, I, I used to apologize and never actually attempt to make things right. And really my apologies were so that whomever it was would get off my back, right? It was like this, I'm so, oh, I'm sorry. And then if I wasn't forgiven, it was like, well, I said, I'm sorry, you know, but that's not really cutting, cutting it. That's not enough. So, um, and now improving relations, you know, it's a task. This is what it says in the AA 12 and 12. It's a task which we may perform with increasing skill, but never really finish. Learning how to live in the greatest peace partnership and brotherhood with all men and women of whatever description is a moving and fascinating adventure. And I just think that's a beautiful way to look at this. Like getting along with people, whomever they are, is gonna be moving and fascinating and it's an adventure. You know, when we really practice eight and nine, our relationships improve. And we have peace even with the people we may have once thought that was gonna be impossible with. You know, we also get better and better at improving our relationships. And for me, this is exactly what happened in my life. You know, there were family members who um, I once found insufferable, like, um, and, and people like in general that I just, I couldn't, I just couldn't stand being around them. They upset me so much. I, being in their company, you know, felt like it, I was, I would say they're triggering me every time I was in their company. Um, and, you know, every time I was put in a room with them, I would sit there either stewing and inside, inside my head, internally pointing out all their flaws, like right there in my brain, an eagle eye for all the things that are wrong with them. Or like worse harm, I would gossip and put them down every chance I got, right? Um, and, I, you know, I no longer, 100%, I really, I have to say, I no longer live that way. Um, not that I'm perfect, but I really don't generally sit in the company of those people. And there's some real specific ones that are really in my family that um, that's been like removed. Like after doing this work, um, what happened is that I feel love and compassion today for these people. Um, here's the other gift that my change has allowed others to soften their opinions of these people too. You know, when I stopped putting down the people, right, to others, you know, who think that they have to be my allies in my quarrels, which is for me is my mom and my, my husband, because they're, they're like, they're loyal. They have this sense of loyalty. So whenever I would sit and put people down, you know, that, that, or that they were around, they sort of felt this need to hate them too, right? And when I stopped doing that, 
um, things improved all the way around. And what I would say is that love is powerfully contagious. It is a powerful, contagious force. And, you know, if you're not sold on its catchiness, like try it, be kinder, start being kinder towards others, like even smiling more, right? Like put a smile on your face, try to say something kind, speak loving words. It is contagious. It comes back. It bounces around. You know, if you walk in a room smiling, the chances of others greeting you with a smile, like multiply, it's much greater. Um, step nine now, now we're gonna look at step nine aspect, like the actual doing of it. Um, and this is in the AA 12 and 12. Made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. So the principles associated with eight and nine or self-discipline and love. Like those are the principles that we're that we're kind of um, working towards. And self-discipline is defined as the ability to control one's feelings and overcome one's weaknesses, and the ability to pursue what one thinks is right despite temptations to abandon it. So definitely, like when I make an amends, when I make an amends to somebody. Um, I, you know, I've got this temptation because it's difficult to like abandon it. Like, I don't want to do it. But if I practice self-discipline and God, right, God helps us grow in self-discipline. Um, then even though I may have a temptation to abandon it, I continue to pursue it through self-discipline. You know, okay, so now let's talk about what is an amend anyway. First of all, like, what is it even? Um, well, it's to put right, to change or modify something for the better, to improve it, right? To alter formally by modification, deletion, or addition. And also to reform oneself. Like, I love that because that's what we're doing, right? We're getting reformed. So notice, by the way, nowhere in that definition of amend does it say apologize. An amend is not an apology. And by the way, you know, apologizing is a lot easier, much easier to say you're sorry. In fact, sometimes what happens when we apologize is we unknowingly move the guilt and obligation from the one who's at fault squarely on the shoulders of the one who's now being asked to grant forgiveness. It's like taking my uncomfortable feelings about what I did and putting them on you. And now it's up to you to grant me forgiveness. Um, so let's be clear, right? We don't make any demands for forgiveness. That's not part of an amend. We don't tell anybody that they must forgive us, right? Okay, page 83, good judgment, a careful sense of timing, courage, and prudence. That's how we do this, right? So we're told reflect, consider, don't rush in, and make sure if you promise to do something, or pay some amount 
that you actually have the resources to make good on your word. You know, the last thing we need is to make empty promises. That's not an amend. Um, so there's four classes or, or categories of amends that the 12 and 12 go through. Um, one, right away, or as soon as we can see that we're able to, it says remain abstinent and food sober. So you don't do it the day you walk in the door, right? Because you need to have a little sobriety under your belt so that you're clear and you're actually able to follow through. Um, two, partial and carefully, right? So these, these are some classes, partial or carefully, because there's the potential for harm. And sometimes these actually become more of what we call the living amends. Like if you're gonna harm someone, we'll get into that a little bit. Um, then we actually just make some living amends. Um, three, the ones you need to wait to do. And four, can't make direct contact up. So page 84 talks about how when we first come to AA or OA, we wanna quickly confess what we've done when we were eating or when we were drinking. It's like saying things like, I'm sorry for the things I had done when I was eating. No, when I was eating, I did this. When I was eating, I did that. When I was in the food, like I hear that a lot. When I was in the food, I did this to you. And let's be clear. I wanna tell you my eating didn't cause me to harm others. Other people eat and they don't cause harm. What caused me to harm others was my self-centeredness, which fueled my compulsive eating, right? That was the root. My selfishness was the root. So what really caused me to harm other people was my self-centeredness. Oh, and by the way, it got me to eat too, right? Um, so sometimes we wanna quickly go further and get into great detail, but we're cautioned here, good, judgment will suggest we ought to take our time. We can't buy our own peace of mind at the expense of others. And it goes on to warn that, that um, in the workplace specifically, we may not want to say anything for several weeks or longer. We will wish to be reasonably certain that we are on the AAB that we're really on the path to recovery, that we're not making one of these like, you know, um, morning after kind of, ah, kind of things, but that we're actually prepared to really do it. Um, basically, we don't wanna make empty promises and find that we're back to our old ways right away because addicts have a history of being unreliable. And remember, you know, that we're now in all things going as representatives of the miraculous power of God and the 12 steps and empty promises don't carry the message very well. That's when people say like those 12 step, you know, oh great, you know, they mean nothing, right? Those 12 steppers. So we have a responsibility. Um, and at this point, we may not have the money to clean up our debts, but we can pay or promise to pay. That's what it says. We can begin to make payments and promise to pay. And it's not necessary to have all the money in hand, so long as we can make a payment 
or set up a payment plan. In fact, it's even sometimes more humbling to come from a position like that than just writing a fat check. If it's real easy, if it's something I can easily afford and just hand it on over, um, I might not be actually growing in humility, right? But the very definition of true humility, a clear recognition and an admission of who and what we are and what we've done wrong, followed by a sincere attempt to become what we could be and what our creator desires for us to be. So even if it's gonna require effort and time, right? Effort and time is the actions that people who are exhibiting true humility demonstrate. Okay, so now we're gonna talk about the ways that people respond. There's two ways that people could respond, right? Page 85 says, one, approval and praise, which is really exhilarating and creates an insatiable appetite for more of the same, right? Like people are like, yes, oh my gosh, you know, amazing, look what you're doing. Or cool and skeptical reception. And this will tempt us to argue, or it may tempt us to be discouraged and pessimistic. So you should be prepared for a negative response. Remember that we have surrendered the outcome to God. The people who did not receive my amends with a warm response actually were helpful in the long run to me. They were. They helped me truly see that my real reliance must be on God, not on human approval, no human power. You know, and, and I got some perfect examples of it. Um, for me, I had a two things that happened um, where I went to make amends to two different people. One was to my aunt who hung up on me. And um, by the way, it all turned out just fine in the end. But at the time she really was like not interested in what I had to say. And, um, and the other one was to a, uh, someone who had mentored me years earlier in, in work. And, um, and to this day, she still does not speak to me. Like she just turns her back. When she sees me, she turns around. And, um, and I, I desperately at one point wanted her approval very much. She had been a mentor of mine early on. And then we had, you know, a situation. I certainly have a part in it. And um, why I say that um, they actually helped me was that my aunt helped me see that, um, that I really needed to change some actions more than my words and that it was gonna take time, right? It was, gonna, it was not gonna be an overnight affair, but it was actually gonna take consistent effort on my part. Um, and this work colleague, this, this mentor, what happened was, um, she's not my God. Her approval is not my God and I don't have to hate her. And actually the beauty is, is now I can love her completely without any worry. <laughs> it's like, I don't have to worry about possibly being tempted 
to, to behave in certain ways anymore. It's like, God relieved me of that and said, you can now love her. You are actually free to see all the wonderful gifts. By the way, she taught me so much about teaching. She was an incredible teacher. And I still, to this day, practice things that she showed me. Um, and I now, I never, I, there's no reason I would ever badmouth her. I am free to actually receive the gifts that she gave me and completely give her credit for it. So that's a gift, right? That is a complete gift here. You know, okay, so if you get a positive response, you may experience some relief and you'll feel like, oh, I'm done, right? Yeah, I'm done, all good. And page 85 says, uh, yeah, you might wanna rest on our laurels. And we know that resting on our laurels is dangerous. What happens to people that rest on their laurels, rest on their achievements, um, it leads to relapse. You know, that's what happens. And it makes me think about how, um, you know, this disease is cunning, baffling, and powerful. And um, we stop doing the things that make us feel better. Like that's crazy. Talk about insanity. So it made me feel so good. So now I'm going to stop doing it. And I would say it's pretty similar sometimes to when um, I have people in my life who I love greatly, who have some struggles with mental health. And one of the worries is that when they begin to feel good, they run the risk of deciding that they don't need to take their treatment anymore. They don't need to take their medication anymore. They don't need to do what's helping them feel better, what's getting them there. And I, by the way, I have no opinion on medication either way, but my, my example is that when I'm experiencing relief from the amends, why would I wanna stop doing it? Like that makes no sense. That shows that my, that my, that this is a disease that manifests itself mentally, not just physically. So the temptation, now it says to skip the more humiliated and dreaded meetings will be great. We will often manufacture plausible excuses for dodging these issues entirely. Or we may just procrastinate, you know, telling ourselves the time is not yet, when in reality we have already passed many a fine chance to right a serious wrong. You know, let's not talk prudence while practicing evasion. So I don't need a beautiful candlelight dinner and violins playing to make a reparation, right? That's, that's like, I don't need to orchestrate everything. You know, what is prudence? Cautious and practicing good judgment. And evasion is avoiding sidestepping and dodging. So there's a diff big difference between using cautious and, and looking to avoid. And when you're cautious, it's because you don't wanna harm or embarrass or needlessly inflict pain on another person, right? You're concerned about harming another person, so you're cautious. But when you're dodging or sidestepping and avoiding, then you're choosing to protect yourself or for playing God, you're gonna figure out how to keep yourself safe. And 
So what are some plausible excuses? Well, if it's going to bring discomfort to another person, that's reasonable, right? That's plausible. Or if it can cause you or another person actual physical danger, right? We're not supposed to, as God's people, we stand on our feet. We're not surrounded scraping. We are not supposed to put ourselves in harm's way, right? We're supposed to treasure the life that we're given and treat ourselves as such. So we don't do things that are gonna hurt us, put us in physical danger. Okay, what's not plausible then? Embarrassment to me or some survivable discomfort, right? That I need to consider this way back when I started, I agreed that I was willing to go to any length. So what, by the way, what is embarrassment anyway? Like if I'm avoiding something because of embarrassment for myself, embarrassment is a feeling of self-consciousness, shame, or awkwardness, right? And it's really felt, the embarrassment is not felt as much um, to myself. It's not internal shame, but more the shame of that others are gonna know, others are gonna find out, right? The fear of being found out, that's embarrassment, that's different. Um, and when I shy away from doing what I know is right, because I'm more concerned with others' opinions of me, what I'm really saying by my actions is that it's not integrity that I value, but my reputation that my reputation is more important to me than my integrity. And I only wanna be honest enough, right? If I'm concerned about my reputation, what I'm saying is I only wanna be honest enough so that I don't appear dishonest. Right? I don't wanna look dishonest. That's really what it is. You know, and you can look at it, you know, if you're concerned- worse it will get. It's not gonna, they close- Concerned about- about embarrassment, um, you know, I can look at it like this, real simple for me. Food was killing me, right? This disease was killing me. It was causing me great harm. I was in the grip of a fatal enemy. Like I was going to die. I'm pretty certain I was gonna die from this or at least live in a way where I felt like I was dead, right? Like my life did not have much importance. And for me, my only hope was a miracle, right? That's what I say. The only thing, my step one understanding was I needed a miracle. And if you're in a position where you require a miracle, you're willing to do things that make you uncomfortable, embarrassed, and even lose your reputation. You're not so concerned about your reputation when you're throwing yourself at the mercy of a miracle. Okay, so another implausible excuse that sometimes we have is, I don't like this person. I don't wanna be in a relationship with them anyway. Therefore, I don't wanna to have to make a reparation. I don't wanna to have to make an amend to them. So now I'm gonna look at the big book for a second because page 77 makes it really clear. First paragraph on page 77 says, it's harder to go to an enemy than to a friend, but we find it much more beneficial to us. So we get a greater benefit from going to someone who we might not have a great 
relationship with. And, you know, what is the benefit that we're after? Our relationship with power, our relationship with God, that's the benefit that we're striving for. And when we make those harder amends, that's what we get. You know, my relationship with my creator strengthens when I rely on him. The more I rely on him, the stronger that relationship grows. And, you know, in step seven, we learned that hard situations require more faith. The harder the situation, the more faith that I'm going to need. And I find out for me that a friend is worthy of my trust when I show up, when, when, when that friend shows up, right? When I need that friend and they're there, that's when I know that this is a friend that I can rely on. Um, you know, so when I'm in a difficult situation and my friend shows up and that friend is reliable, then I feel closer to that friend. And this is how it is with my relationship with God. So just because you need to make amends to an enemy does not mean that it won't bring you great rewards. Right? It really will. Um, so now let's look back at the AA 12 and 12, page 85. As soon as we begin to feel confident on our new way of life and have begun by our behavior and example to convince those about us that we're changing for the better, it is usually safe to talk in complete frankness with those who have been seriously affected, even those who aren't aware that they were harmed. So sometimes it's like, well, do I really have to say, um, I'm sorry, do I really have to clean this up? After all, they don't know about it, right? And um, yes, we do, because we know about it. And God knows about it, right? And so remember, so long as it's not going to harm them, the other person, if it's something that in finding it out is going to bring them embarrassment and harm, then we don't. But if it's just me that's going to be embarrassed and uncomfortable, then yes, we do. And, and an example for me was, um, you know, I, in my selfishness, I stole candy from colleagues. I took what didn't belong to me. And nope, they didn't know. They never knew, but I knew. And I had to go to them. I had to risk my reputation amongst people who I have, you know, wanted a good reputation amongst. And I had to tell them the truth, right? I had, to, and that's where I leaned on God. I had to say, you know what? That person has every right to throw me out of her classroom and say, are you kidding me? She had every right to do that. And she had every right to tell anybody she wanted because that was my other fear. She's going to tell other people. And I have to say, when I went in and I made reparation and I straightened it out, it doesn't concern me anymore if everybody in my building knows. It doesn't, I'm free of that. I'm free of that. And I can look her in the eye and I feel at peace. I'm not embarrassed when I see her. I don't feel that discomfort. Um, in fact, the day that I made that amends, I actually felt like my feet were floating above the ground. I felt free. And I really felt like, you know, I felt um, 
like I had entered a new relationship with God. Like I just felt like I never had to be afraid of those things again. Um, you know, I, I had to tell my children, they had no idea that I took things from them. And I had to tell them the truth. Um, okay, so now on page 85 again, very important. The only exceptions we will make will be cases where our disclosure would cause actual harm. We cannot, for example, un unload a detailed account of extramarital adventuring upon the shoulders of our unsuspecting wives or husbands. And even in those cases where such a matter must be discussed, it says, let's try to avoid harming third parties, whoever they may be. It does not lighten our burden when we recklessly make the crosses of others heavier. So, um, you know, we're also told we treat sex like any other problem. So I, I'm gonna talk about it like any other problem. We can't hurt our spouses or others, right? Um, and this is a great way to look for me at gossip as well. You know, I, um, what I would say the unsuspecting people were the people that I gossiped about, you know, and it's not kind <laughs> to go to them and say, I'm really sorry that I gossiped about you. I'm really sorry that I talked about you because that's gonna cause them harm. That's gonna hurt them. That's gonna make them embarrassed. That's gonna make them feel uncomfortable. So that I don't do. But what we do, right? And it might drag other people in because it was like, well, who'd you tell? Who'd you talk to about, right? Um, but, but what I do, what I've done is that I go to the people that I gossiped to and, and I apologize. You know, for me, I say like, I value the, conver I value the time that I get to spend with you and I love talking to you. Most of the time it's people I love talking to you and I appreciate our friendship and our relationship. And I feel like I'm, I've polluted our conversations by, by wasting your time and talking bad about other people. And, and I wanna change that behavior and I'm really sorry for doing that. Um, and the other thing that I do is if I've hurt, like remember we harm people with our words, the people who weren't there we hurt them. And so it's my obligation now to say kind things about them when I have the opportunity, right? So rather than tear them down, it's my responsibility now to find their positive attributes and only speak words of praise to them. No more trashing them. Share about the wonderful things that they do, the things, and honestly though, right? We're not like gonna be dishonest, but honest things. Um, and I would say that discipline, that self-discipline, and the more, you know, in, it makes me think of the story like acceptance was the answer. The more I seek out to find the good in people, the more good I actually see in them, the more beautiful they become. Um, so it's powerful. It's powerful things that we do. Um, you know, okay, so now how about work-related law? page 86 to 87, it says, do we constantly confess our irregularities 
Oh, do we instantly confess our irregularities to the firm in the practical certainty that we will be fired and become unemployed? Are we going to be so rigidly righteous about making amends that we don't care what happens to the family and our homes? Or do we first consult with those who are gonna be gravely affected? Do we lay the matter before our sponsor or spiritual advisor, earnestly asking God's help and guidance? Meanwhile, resolving to do the right thing when it becomes clear, cost what it may. Of course, there's no pat answer, right? So it's pretty clear that we don't discuss these things, you know, um, without a lot of thought. Like we do discuss them. We talk about them with our sponsors and possibly other reliable fellows, but we always let God be the final judge, right? So someone's sponsor might suggest that you might need to make a particular amend, they might say, you know, it seems like, it seems like, it sounds like, but ultimately I try to be, I, I try to be careful. I've made the mistake, I think, of, of overly giving advice. And that's, I think that's up to God. I think that's God's job to tell other people. And I'd say God, you know, communicates that um, through each person's conscience. You know, we ask for that intuitive thought. And so we let God really dictate and tell us um, what it's gonna look like. Um, you know, and we also have to be careful that we're not gonna put our family in a situation where they're not gonna be able to eat because suddenly we wanna feel good. So we're just gonna tell everybody and we're gonna leave our, our children. You know, if we're parents, our children, we have a responsibility to them. Um, you know, um, I've had a situation with myself and, and if there's other people involved with be careful as well. So I had a situation at work where, um, I get sick time. I get a certain amount of days a year off. Some of it's sick time and it's designated. Some of it's family sick time and some of it's personal time. You get a lot more sick time. You get like as much, you know, we get a big chunk of sick time a little bit of family sick time and smaller personal time. And the truth is, because we got plenty of vacation time. That's like a gift of being a teacher. I get, I do get time off, so don't cry for me. <laughs> um, but um, I've had situations where um, my kids were sick and I ran out of sick time, right? Um, and I didn't have personal time left or I had like very little. And I was like, oh, I can't be dishonest. So what I did was I shirked my responsibility basically. And I just, we do it like online and I left that column blank. But I did it knowing that I had a secretary at the time who had my back. And when it came across, she would just look at you. She was kind and she would look and see what you had the most days left and she would check it off. And one morning I came in after having been absent and she said, you know, you didn't fill out the form properly. I put it in as, um, as um, sick time. And I said, oh, well, yeah, I didn't want to do that because I didn't want to be dishonest. I wasn't 
sick my kid was, but I didn't have any family sick time left. And she looked at me and she said, oh, so it's okay for me to be dishonest for you? And I realized like, oh my God, I, I absolutely owe her an amend. And I thought for a second, I think I owe my boss. I might owe my school district like an amend, but I couldn't just rush ahead because I was gonna put this other person in danger, right? I was gonna implicate another person and cause her harm and I couldn't do it, right? So what I, what I had to do was, um, I had to apologize to her. I had to tell her from now on, I will fill it in. And if I don't, don't fill it in for me. Please don't fill it in for me. I don't wanna put the burden on you. And my decision from then on was, so if I get Dr. Day's pay, I'll get Dr. Day's pay. Like if I'm really gonna trust and rely on God, I'm gonna do the hard thing, right? You know, above all, we have to be absolutely sure that we're not operating from fear. When I've been afraid, it's because I'm worried about the outcomes, right? And outcomes is really where my strength, my relationship in God strengthens. When God makes his will known to us, what I find is he gives me the strength to live in agreement with his will. And even if there's uncomfortable or painful consequences, I need to trust that God's gonna give me the resources and support to get through the difficulties or it's not gonna be as uncomfortable as I thought it was gonna be after all, right? That's sort of what happens for me. Um, and remember that ultimately we're forming a relationship with power. All relationships require trust. And when God gives us the clear message that we're meant to do something, then I know that if I put other people's opinions or my pocketbook ahead of that, what I'm saying is that I'm putting those things above God. I'm telling God, I don't trust you. And what kind of relationship is that, right? That's not the relationship I want. So I'm gonna kind of end, there's a ninth step prayer that I like. It says, God, with regard to this amend, give me the strength, courage, and direction to do the right thing, no matter what the personal consequences may be. Help me not to shrink from anything. Help me not to delay if it can be avoided. Help me to be sensible, tactful, considerate, and humble without being servile and scraping. Um, with that, I will pass. And yes.